as the full panoply of the Hebridean wilderness. And if that wasn't enough, on two consecutive evenings, I saw the indescribable majesty of the night sky above the highlands and islands which stretched out with perfect, pure, clear visibility in a way it's almost impossible to see in urban London or indeed in most parts of Britain. And as I gazed up at the Milky Way, the Pleiades, the Plough, Orion, Venus, and zillions of others, known and unknown stars, and looking up at the beauty and silence of eternity, I felt just so minuscule, so tiny, in comparison to the magnificent panorama of God's heavens. And my visual glimpses of God's glory on that island are just a reminder that these signs are always with us. Just a few moments ago, we were commemorating Remembrance Sunday in the two-minute silence. Now, it may seem something of a sermon preaching acrobatic leap to go from today's Remembrance Sunday to um, the um, And um, my father 
helping this year was, of course, very upset that he was perhaps going to lose one of his most youngest, most brilliant pilots, only 19 years old, or age in about Britain. And he worried and waited and waited. And finally, when it seemed impossible that the plane should still be airborne, the last possible moment, the fighter appeared in the sky and the plane landed and the pilot of the aircraft was safe. It's my father's job to debrief the um, young pilot and obviously asked why it had been so delayed. And the young pilot told him this extraordinary story. Um, he had been over the North Sea in the dogfight, had a bullet through his uh, instruments fired by an enemy aircraft and it had made his instrument panel in US unserviceable, as the jargon was in those days. And all of a sudden, he simply couldn't tell what direction he was flying in, north, south, east, or west, and the weather was getting worse. And his fuel gauge was running low, so this pilot was pretty desperate, pretty scared, he was badly lost. And then another Spitfire appeared out of the sky and came alongside him, and they did hand signals, one from the aircraft to the other, and um, the, once the second pilot realized that First pilot lost his instruments, he gave a signal, follow me, which was not unknown in those days. And so the first pilot followed the second pilot, the shepherding pilot, as it was known. And this good shepherd um, led the young pilot of my father's squadron, uh, banking left until they came across the Norfolk coast and then down towards Kingsland and safely this young pilot landed. Before the um, young pilot had left and the other pilot had signaled over and out and gone away, uh, the young pilot had noted down very carefully the markings on the Good Shepherd aircraft. The markings were HJ142. And anyway, in the debriefing, one of the first things the young pilot says, I'd really like to thank that uh, Good Shepherd who piloted me home. Um, and I think I, we could do this because I've got the markings. HS HJ142, and my father sent a young RAF telephonist to bring up the ambulance to find where this <coughs> uh, Good Shepherd pilot had based in his aircraft. The RAF pilot, uh, telephonist came back a moment or two later and said, um, I'm sorry, it must have been some mistake. Um, the ambulance just said, There's no such RAF aircraft. Um, and um, so the young pilot said, Nonsense. Not only did I memorize it, I wrote it down, and those days all flying suits used to have pads on the way to school. I absolutely know that was the marking HJ142. So my father, the CEO, got onto the air ministry and talked to someone rather more senior. And the person at the air ministry, the officer, said, Well, that's not happened. It's rather strange. There had been an um, operational Spitfire aircraft with that markings, um, but it actually was seen. He shot down and crashing into the brink in the North Sea over seven months ago. The pilot was killed. That's in effect the story. Who was the good shepherd piloting HJ-142? Have I told you a ghost story? Have I told you a god story? Certainly a good story. It got into the newspapers and even became a sort of factional, famous short story by Paul Gallagher. But the point I'm trying to get over on this Remembrance Sunday is that God's signs can be seen 
for those who have eyes to see, whether it's in the island of love, the night sky, or whether it's in the dust of river. These signs are all around us today, just as much as they were 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. And John wrote his account of Jesus' restoring the sight of the man who was born blind. So let's look at this gospel. It's possible to have it up on the screen. Um, the story begins with the disciples asking Jesus um, not just a silly question, but what must to intelligent ears sound an absolutely idiotic question. Who caused this man to be born blind? His parents by their sins, or the man himself by his own sins? Now the disciples were not always the brightest buttons on the beach, and they often asked um, incomprehending questions. But in this case they really can't be blamed, and they don't deserve to be criticised for the foolishness of this question, because it was deeply embedded in ancient Jewish culture, tradition and theology that suffering was always caused by sin. And even though one of the most poetic and powerful books in the entire Old Testament, the book of Job, explodes that nonsensical myth, nevertheless, even so, most Jews really did believe, thanks to the direction of their theological and spiritual teachers, that even if someone was disabled, or blind, or paralyzed, or just merely infected with the um, 2,000 years ago equivalent of COVID, this was not due to their medical problems, no, no, it was due to the problem of their past sins. Well, of course, we in the 21st century can, from the benefit of science and better education, see clearly and beyond that that such views were complete nonsense. But it wasn't nonsense to the Jewish theologians. To them, it was a fundamental truth all illness was caused by sin. Let me just pause here a moment to give you a health warning about theologians. If I was in a boastful mood, which I hope I'm not, I might stretch a point and claim to be a theologian and rather amateur kind myself. I've written a couple of books on theology as a more mature student. I went to Oxford to read theology and miraculously emerged from the examination schools for the first. I'm not telling you this to puff myself up, but really to put myself and all theologians down, and hence my health warning about theologians. We theologians, if I may, do such a sweeping embrace, um, if we are remotely humble, we know only how little we know. Interesting though academic theories about theology may be, they are certainly not the only, or indeed the best route to a relationship with God. Feelings from the heart about God are as important, and perhaps far, far more important, than scoring intellectual academic points from the head about God. And you can see this absolutely clearly from the question asked in the second verse of our reading, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now just let's hold our horses up. How can a man who was born blind possibly have committed sins that were supposed to have made him blind before he was born? How could the Jews possibly have believed in something called prenatal sin? 
incredibly, Jewish theologians did assert the belief in prenatal sin. There was a big figure in the ancient Jewish theology world called Rabbi Julian the Patriarch, who invented and championed the theory that embryos can sin and fetuses can sin. Well, pull the other one. Long before I started to read theology, I was lucky enough to go to a great school and also went there. In my day, we had an amazing headmaster called Robert Burley. And on the day I was a leaving boy, he addressed all the leaving boys with memorable words which always stuck in my mind ever since. And it went something like this Boys, you've been in this school for five years, and I hope you've learned one thing about all others, one great truth which will equip you for your journey through life. All of us embarrassed in our shoes and could not think what this great truth or the thing we might learn. Long dramatic pause, Rob Burley was rather given to dramatic pauses, and finally went on. Boys, I hope you have learned how to be able to tell whenever the other fellow is talking rot. Now, the Jewish theologians in ancient times were talking complete rot. And Jesus finally told the disciples and the rest of the world that they were talking rot because he gave this magisterial answer. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Collapse the start of theologians. But after this, Jesus went on to say something extraordinarily important of extraordinary arrest, which is of the highest relevance and importance to our lives today. Because Jesus then said, this man was born blind, so that God's work might be revealed in him. What did he mean by that? In John's Gospel, miracles are always seen as signs of the glory and power of God. Writers of other synoptic gospels have a slightly different point of view. They saw them as miracles, demonstrating the compassion and mercy or pity of Jesus towards someone who was suffering. And it is asserted that John's gospels are more separate and different. To my mind, this is just another example of theological nitpicking. Surely there can be no fundamental difference between the fourth gospel and the three synoptic gospels. They simply look at the same thing in different ways. For at the heart of all these Gospels, certainly at the heart of John's Gospel, lies the supreme truth that the glory of God is to be found in his compassion, and that he never so fully reveals his glory as when he reveals his pity, as he did for the man who was born blind. Now there's an important contemporary message for each and every one of us about this sign. I think most of us who uh, are blessed with a Christian faith, from time to time are moved by it to do something out of the ordinary because we are inspired by the example of Jesus to do so. If we go out of our way to visit a sick person in hospital, or to comfort a bereaved person, or to try and help someone who is suffering, or in the words of the common prayer, we reach out to anyone who is in any kind of trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or other, any other adversity. If we reach out in this way to someone in pain or need, we are in a small way revealing God's glory. Why? Because we are showing what God is like. The next two verses of our reading, verses 4 and 5, are about God's timing. 
They sound a bit confusing at first, but they're not. Verse 4, we must work, work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is a timing point. Jesus is saying here that he and all his followers must do God's work while there is time to do it. He is not, of course, saying that God's work will end when he himself entered the long dark night of the soul and agony of the crucifixion. On the contrary, Jesus is behind the Holy Spirit to empower us to continue to do God's work. And Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, remains the light of the world. That phrase, the light of the world, may just strike a chord with some of you who have done the Alpha course in the past. Because in the other versions of it, there was a session which focused on a famous picture by Holman Hunt, which had the title, The Light of the World. And this was a picture of a door crusted uh, up with thorns and briars and weeds, and Jesus holding up a light was knocking on it, and the quotation underneath the picture, The Light of the World, said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and they will be. Well, many do hear Jesus' voice. Many do hear his knocking, but not so many open the door of their hearts to him. So the point here is really don't miss out when you hear the words of the one who was sent by God. When you feel the power of the Holy Spirit calling you. Don't miss out, don't be late, because timing and seizing the opportunity have this enormous importance to anyone's spiritual journey. Finally, let's have a quick look at the last two verses of our reading. Verse 6, when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes. Sounds pretty unhygienic, doesn't it? Disgusting. Uh, why is it there? Well, I think because we do know from great Roman historians like Pliny and Tacitus that throughout the Roman Empire, saliva or spittle was almost universally regarded as having miraculous healing properties. I've not had time whether Jesus believed in the efficacy of saliva, but Jesus did believe in using the methods and customs and practices of his time to get his message across and to win over his audience. He knew that he had to gain the confidence of the man born blind who was eating and also the confidence of those who were watching. So he used a touch of theatre to reassure everyone. Actually, that goes on in medicine today a great deal. Every doctor and nurse has to win the confidence of their patients by reassurance and conversation. Even if you have to go for COVID vaccination, the nurse sits us down, calms us, puts antiseptic on our uh, skin in order to give us reassurance and then vaccinates us. So all Jesus was doing was using saliva as the confidence builder of his age. There's no great mystery there. But there is a real touch of mystery in the final verse of our reading, verse 7. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin, he says. This 
This must be a psalm that we see as a reference back to verse 4, which says, We must work the works of him who sent me. There is in that word sent a divine chain of command which stretches all the way back from the scene in Jerusalem of the healing of the man blind from birth right through to us here at St. Peter's today. God the Father sent Jesus into the world to reveal his work. Jesus sent his disciples and all his subsequent followers, including you, including me, to do his work. So we feel, if we believe, that we too are sent to do the work of God the Father and God the Son, even in the smallest of ways, we too, like the man blind from birth, can help to reveal God's glory. So, let's all go out and do God's work today and every day. Amen.